Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Word. Here we study the Bible. We aim to study from the book of Genesis to Revelation. By the grace of God, we've done 25 books of the Bible. And guess what? If you've not got a chance to listen to them, you can go to all podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, name it. You'll find all the podcasts there, even via our website, Bible In-Depth Network. You'll be able to find everything there. It's a one-stop center for everything that you want. And uh, all programs that we do, you just go to our website and you'll have a trip of your own there. And today we continue with our study of our book of Ezekiel. And uh, like we always say, there's no limitation to revelation. God reveals his word to every single person who shows the need. If you want God to speak to you, I tell you he will. There's no limitation to that. God will come out and he will speak his word to everybody who shows need. And uh, what have you been longing for? God can speak to you. Which word have you been waiting for? God can speak to you. He has given us the Holy Spirit within us. He is with us. We walk with him. We move with him. We go to bed with him. How can it be that he cannot speak to you? You child of God. There's no limitation. He will speak to us and he will reveal us to us the word that we've always hoped for. We want to continue today with our book of Ezekiel, and uh, we've done 16 chapters so far. I want us to continue today with chapter 17 of our book of Ezekiel. And it starts by saying, Now the word of the Lord came to me, to who? To Ezekiel. Saying, Son of man, propound a riddle. Hmm? Get this riddle in touch so that they can be able to understand you. Hopefully they can be able to understand you and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Remember, the person he's talking to is in exile in Babylon by the river Cheba, where is the position he particularly with other fellow priests and high class Judah exiles were dwelling. And so he receives a riddle here and he says, Thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings, long pinions, and a full plumage of many colors came to Lebanon and took away the top of the cedar. This is how the this um, riddle starts, all this parable starts. It's talking about great, a great eagle, yeah, that comes to Lebanon. Of course, here, it's a region of Israel that they're talking about and takes the, took away the top of the cedar. Now, what happens in this time that they're talking about, if you go out and uh, refer to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 23, O inhabitant of Lebanon that makes, your, that makes your nest in the cedars, how gracious shall you be when pangs come out, come upon you, the pain as of a woman, to travail. As I live, says the Lord, through though Coniah, the son of Jacob, was signet upon my right hand, yet I would pluck you. Now, Jeconiah is the 
by this time in Jeremiah 22 that they're talking about here is the king of Judah. So the section of Lebanon that is being talked about clearly is Judah in this sense. And now they are talking about this great king, yeah, this great ego that shall come and take away these people, yeah, from uh, this place called Judah. Even when you refer to Ezekiel 17, 12, say now to the rebellious house, know ye what these things mean. Tell them, behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem and has taken the king therefore and the princes therefore and led them with him to Babylon. So the great ego with great wings here is clearly the king of Babylon. Yeah. And he's coming in full force to Lebanon to take away the top of the cedar, the cream. Remember when he came, he took the cream, he took the mighty, he took the kings, the royals, the princes, the rich men, the wealthy, those were the top of the cedar. And he had to take them so that this place has no value. You know, when they take away the big guns, the place loses value. That's what Nebuchadnezzar came and did. And it goes on in verse 1, says, He plucked off the topmost of its young twigs and brought it to a land of merchants. He set it in a city of traders. Yeah, he took the gold of the, of the cream, yeah, those that are valuable, he took them, the topmost of the young trees. He also took some of the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He took um, even other dwellers yeah, that were in, in Judah and took them in that captivity. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a wheel. Of course, we know the river Cheba. That's where most of the great ones are placed here. He comes out and mentions it. Then it sprouted and became a low spreading vine with its branches turned toward him, but its roots remained under it. Yeah, so it became a vine and yielded shoots and set out branches. Yeah, remember while they were in captivity, they even started to make a living, started to they started businesses, they started to build. So they agree and say, Ah, we shall succumb, pay tribute, be good citizens to Nebuchadnezzar. But there, we are told, was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage. And behold, this vine bent its root toward him and sent out its branches toward him from the beds where it was planted that he might water it. It was planted in good soil beside abundant waters that it might yield branches and bear fruit and become a splendid vine. Who are they talking about here? He's another leader, another king. But now this one was planted by Nebuchadnezzar himself, was rooted by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Yeah, And uh, he places a king who is known mostly to have been a puppet king, and he was from the royal family, but not straight in the uh, line of becoming a king. But hey, anyway, he's planted there. He's supposed to be more or less somebody that is under Nebuchadnezzar running Judah. That's Zedekiah. And he's supposed to do everything that Nebuchadnezzar says. Everything that the captors say, which is Babylon. And here we're told he is supposed to be under them. Verse 9, say, Thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will this king thrive? Will he not pull up 
its roots and cut off its fruit so that it withers, so that all its sprouting leaves wither. Why are they saying this? We're going to get to it. That this great king or this leader, Zedekiah, shall wither. And neither by great strength nor by many people can it be raised from its roots again. Because there will be destruction that shall come to him. Because of what he wants to do and we shall look at it shortly. And neither by great strength nor by many people can he rise again. After he has been brought down, behold, though it is planted, will it thrive? Will it not completely wither as soon as the east wind strikes it? Wither on the beds where it grew. Yeah, because it will try to rise up against the one that has been has given it authority. And hey, when it tries that, the wind will strike it. Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Send now to the rebellious house. Do you not know what these things mean? He's saying, the parable I've just given you. Do you understand what it means? Now, at the time Zedekiah is king, Remember when we're reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. Jeremiah is on ground with Zedekiah, also prophesying to him. But at the same time, even in captivity, Ezekiel is there. So these two prophets exist at the same time. One is in the captivity and speaking through the captivity to the, capt- the, the people in exile, which is in Babylon, that is Ezekiel. And one is on ground that is Jeremiah. He was on ground, reaching the king directly. They wanting to kill him directly. So Israel was not in lack of prophets at that time. It was not in lack of guidance at that time. Those who were in captivity had a guide. Those who were back home in Jerusalem had a guide, which was Jeremiah. But they couldn't listen to any of them, unfortunately. How much we have guidance, how much we have preachers, how much we have leaders everywhere on the globe today. But there are still people who never hear. How many times people preach to us. When you pass on the street, people are preaching. When you turn on your radio, people are preaching. When you pass by your church on the village, people are preaching everywhere on TV. But then there are people who never listen. There is no way we can say there is lack of the word today. Lack of listening today that is coming from God. Just like these people, irrespective of the time they were going through, however tough it was, there was a prophet down in Babylon, which is Ezekiel. There was also a prophet right there in Jerusalem, which was Jeremiah. But they chose not to listen, just like it is today. Some people will choose not to listen to the gospel. They will choose to challenge every word that comes out of the Bible. They just get on streets and argue with preachers. Recently, I saw a clip where a, a man was wanted almost to fight with a preacher on the street because of the words he spoke. That's all they do. They want to kill you because they don't want to listen to the good news of Christ that you bring. So right now, Israel is not in lack of people who can speak to God and deliver a message from God. Ezekiel is in Babylon. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. So he goes on and says, and asks them, do you not know, do you not understand the words that I'm saying in this parable? 
And says, say, behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem. That is the great ego that they talked about first. He came to Jerusalem, took its king and princes and brought them to him in Babylon. He took out, he took one of the royal family and made a covenant with him, putting him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land that the kingdom might be brought in subjection, not exalting itself, but keeping his covenant that it may continue. That one we've talked about. Yeah, the cream was taken away. And now they put one of the royal family, which is uh, Zedekiah himself, that was brought and put in charge yeah, of uh, the nation. Yeah, And he says he had to keep the covenant they had with the king of Babylon. But he rebelled against him by sending his envoys to Egypt that they might give him horses and many troops. Will he succeed? This other ego decided to say, ah, we are breaking off. He had prophets around who told him. They are those false ones. We're telling him, no, this captivity of Babylon shall not live long. So he decides, let me go ally with Egypt so that we overthrow Babylon. What a waste. Will he who does such things escape? God asks. Can he indeed break the covenant and escape? He can't break the covenant with Babylon. That's what he's saying here. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely in the country of the king who put him on the throne, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, in Babylon he shall die. This we saw that it came to pass that eventually the alliance failed that he tried to get from Egypt. The support he wanted to get from Egypt failed. So he's taken captive. His eyes are plucked out and he dies in Babylon when he's taken. That's what they're speaking here. As Ezekiel is prophesying about the death of Zedekiah, that is to come while he's down there in Babylon, Jeremiah is also right in Jerusalem telling them, this is not going to end well. You're going to die. So it was the same word at the same time. You know, God gives his word exact. What he gives to one, he can give to another. And you reach, and people are giving you the same message from two different locations. That's what happens here. So he's speaking as far as Zedekiah is concerned. He says, you shall die in Babylon. Pharaoh, with his mighty army and great company, will not help him in the war. Actually, when you read through the history of uh, Babylon and uh, their empire, just after this, they went and conquered Egypt. Yeah, After this failed attempt to bring down Babylon. And uh, he says, they will not help him in war. When they cast up ramps and build siege walls to cut off many lives, now he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, and behold, he pledged alliance, he pledged his allegiance, yet did all these things he shall not escape. Zedekiah won't escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath which he despised and my covenant which he broke, I will inflict on his head. Now, this is interesting. God himself is taking the covenant that was made between Zedekiah and Nebuchadnezzar as his own. He is saying, my covenant which he broke, my oath which he despised, I will inflict on his head. I will spread my net over him and he will be caught in my snare. Then I will bring him to Babylon and enter into judgment with him 
there regarding the unfaithful act which he has committed against me. That which he has done to go ally with Egypt, to break the covenant he had with Nebuchadnezzar, God takes it upon himself and says, that was my covenant. There's something with superpowers and people that are ruling and God. There's a relationship at times that we find between those who have the power and God himself. Because God was taking Israel, Jerusalem, into captivity through Nebuchadnezzar, using Babylon as the one to make sure that judgment comes upon Israel for what they had done. So, Babylon at this time is acting under the command. It is acting in the position of God to inflict the judgment that was supposed to come upon the people of Judah. So when a covenant is broken, though it is made by a Babylonian king, who, by the way, worshipped other gods, they had a, called, a god called Modak. That is the one they were worshipping. Known to the Almighty God, but they were carrying out the will of God. Sometimes the things of God can confuse. You don't get them very well. But when he wants a purpose to be fulfilled, he can use any vessel. Because anyway, they are all and were all created by him. And by the way, even after they had inflicted, we read in Jeremiah, he says, even you now, Babylon, you tortured my people. You did beyond that you're supposed to do. You tortured my people when they were in your hands in exile. Now you shall also be destroyed. The way God works, the workings of God are sometimes hard to comprehend. But now, with Zedekiah breaking the promise, God comes out and says, You have broken my covenant. You were supposed to pay tribute to Babylon. You've broken it with that was the agreement. So now you shall fall by the sword. And he tells him, all the choice men in all his troops will fall by the sword. We saw that. And the survivors will be scattered to every wind. And you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken. That says the Lord God. He tells him, I'll also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and set it out. I'll pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I'll plant it on a high and lofty mountain on the high Mountain of Israel, I will plant it, and it may bring forth bows and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the sheds of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring the high tree, exalt the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the tree, dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will perform it. God here is making it clear that your time is out. He's telling them, for that which you've done, judgment shall come to you. You shall not survive. Yeah, He's saying, your time shall be out. You had to just listen. You had to just do that which I told you to do. You had to just listen and continue with the covenant, but you've fallen out on it. So, this is totally speaking about the trouble that Zedekiah has to go through because of his hard head. We shall close with chapter 18. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. 
This is a, a proverb that is used in Judah. When you read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, it says, In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Now, this proverb was mostly used for the fact that when the father sins, the children suffer. Yeah? When the father does wrong, those of his household suffer. And that was a proverb that was always mentioned. They would say, the father ate sour grapes, but the children's teeth are now set on edge. And as I live, declares the Lord, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. He's saying that which you used to say, that father like father like son, you have to suffer together. You shall not say that anymore. He says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul whose sins will die. Clear message here. Firstly, by him saying that all souls are mine. Everybody. When you read number 16, Verse 22 says, And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, all flesh belongs, is created by God himself, comes from the Lord. Every single being that you see move, the source is one, and that is God. Nobody else has created a human being. No forces of nature. No processes of evolution have created human beings. Everyone comes from God. And science can lie to, to many. And they feel like they've been created by, all, by, by evolution. But that is not the process. No. Everyone comes from God. It's God who created all souls. And he says the soul of the Father as well of the Son are mine. The one who sinned and the one who you're saying is going to suffer the repercussion are mine. But then he ends by saying, the soul who sins will die. Everybody has to be responsible. Responsible for what they do. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Everybody shall take their portion. And everybody shall suffer for what they have done. That's what he's telling them. If you are the one who stole, you suffer the consequences of your stealing. If you're the one who did, who harmed the other, you suffer the consequence. If you're the one who killed, you suffer the consequence as an individual. Because when we read Romans 16, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. How? What are wages? Those are payments you receive. When you sin, there is payment. And that payment is death. So, that proverb that they used to give, that the son will suffer for the father, no. If the son didn't sin, then he cannot get into the fire because of the father. No. It is a person who sinned that suffers repercussions. 
what they did. So that's what he says there. The soul who sins will die. The wages of sin is death. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period because according to their tradition and what they spoke even straight from the law, those were unclean days. You do not get into that. If a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend man on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and woman, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and he will surely live, declares the Lord. Now, there are things that have been mentioned here that could imply the righteousness of a person. Hmm? For example, they are saying you don't go out to eat in the shrines. You do not lift up your eyes to idols. Both those that are physical and those of the heart, by the way. Hmm? You do not defile your neighbor's wife. How is that? Having affairs with them. Lusts over them. You don't approach a woman in a menstrual period. Those are being given because it's in the law that you do not do that. It's unclean. Lifting up eyes to idols. Yeah? Oppressing others. Restoring to the data their pledge. Not committing robbery. Giving to the hungry. Yeah? Not lending on interest. Keeping your hand from iniquity. Now, these are just some but a few. So, we don't go on this list and start saying, okay, let me tick off the things I don't do here. Now the rest, though they have not been mentioned here, then they are, it's okay, I still remain righteous. No. You know them, and your heart will convict you. The Holy Spirit will always convict you of that which is wrong. Yeah? And it gives an example here of the things that will keep them righteous. He declares them that those who are in this state, they are righteous, and they shall live. They are not those who will die because sin is not part of them. The wage is not part of them. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother. Though he himself do not do any of these things, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrines, he defiles a neighbor's wife, he oppresses the poor and the needy, he commits adultery, he does not restore a pledge, he lifts up his eyes to idols and commits abomination. He lends man on interest. He takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. That is what we've just talked about. That you are responsible for the sins that you commit. If you're the one who is stealing, punishment and the wage for stealing comes to you, not to your children. Everyone is responsible for their life. That's why you don't even come out and say, it's this one who made me sin. No, you had a decision to make. Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins which he committed and observing does not do likewise. He does not eat in the mountain shrines. He does not lift up his eyes to idols. He does not defile the neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone. He does, he does not retain the pledge. He does not commit robbery. But he gives bread to the hungry, covers the naked in clothing, 
and keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest, only increase, but executes ordinances and walks in my statutes, he will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. It's clear that he will not die for the iniquity. Like we've spoken of another person. Even you, you will not die of your father's iniquity. All your brother's iniquity. All your children's. You are responsible for your life. You account, each one of us will account to God our lives. What we've done, how we have lived, we shall account to God. And he goes on and says, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear punishment for his father's iniquity. Nor will the father bear punishment for his son's iniquity. The righteous, the righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, ha, that's the beauty. If he turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices righteousness, justice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness which he has practiced. He will live. When you turn and live a good life, everything else changes. When you turn and live a good life, the past is washed away. When you turn and start to walk with God, there is a new chapter. It doesn't matter what your life has been in the past. God starts a new journey with you and says, I will take a new journey with you. I'll forget what you've done and give you a new life. That is a promise that God makes. And he says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? God does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not right that God is excited and waiting for the day of punishment. It's not true. Rather, he says that he should turn from his ways and live. That's what God has desiring. That you turn from evil and walk a righteous life. And goes and says, but when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and does according to the abominations that the wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous acts which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery because he has committed and his sin which he has committed for them, he will die. If you've been doing good and eventually you start doing bad, they will not remember your good. No. Your current state is what plays. Are you evil now or righteous now? Yet you say the way, the way of the Lord is not right here. Now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies because of it, for his, his iniquity which he has committed, he will die again. When a wicked man turns from his wickedness that he has committed and practices righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned from his transgressions which he committed. He shall live. He shall not die. But the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right. All my ways are my ways not right. O house of Israel, is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct declares the Lord. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you've committed. Make yourselves a new heart, a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. God is saying, when you repent, you will live. And this is an opportunity for you, somebody out there. 
that you have been living a life that is reckless, God says today, repent and you will leave. When you don't repent, you expose yourself to destruction. But there's an opportunity here. Repent and receive life. Father, today we come before you and we pray that you help us live lives that honor you. Forgive us for all that we've done in the past and set our lives to the things of God that we focus on you and inherit eternal life. Help us, Lord, walk with you. Help us, Lord, stand for you all the days of our lives. Amen.